0: Welcome back to the Leader Lab. I'm your host, David Berkus, and it's a bit crowded here in the Leader Lab this month. I actually have two guests with me, both partners at ePloribus Partners.
1: I'm going to let
0: you guys do your own introductions. Who are you and what do you do?
1: Okay, David, I'm uh, Michael Lee Stollard, and uh, I have with me my uh, one of my best friends and business partner, Jason Pankaw. Jason and I are co-authors of the book, Fired Up or Burned Out, uh, How to Reignite Your Team's Passion, Creativity, and Productivity and uh we are both uh fathers and <laughs> speakers, teachers, uh coaches to leaders in uh government and business and uh, churches and um we uh focus on how to create what we call a connection culture where people thrive individually and collectively. Jason uh was has been a leader from very early days in life just because of his athletic success and uh, Not just because of that, but (laughs) that afforded him a lot of opportunities, and uh, he went on to become an All-American middle linebacker and captain of the Brown University football team. Uh, He was uh, a uh, uh, qualifier for the Olympics in discus, and uh, he's also uh, a minister, ordained minister. Um, Jason's about uh, 275 pounds, very big guy. We like to say he's the fun one of the two of us. (laughs) And... uh, Uh, I'm a little bit more of the teacher. I always think of Jason as the coach. Uh, My background is um, I spent a lot of years in in, uh, technology finance and and, uh, finance on Wall Street, uh, heading marketing for the private wealth management groups of Morgan Stanley and Charles Schwab. Um, I left Wall Street in 2002. It was about um, not long after that I met Jason. And uh, we started collaborating on a book. Um, It's gradually grown where we're publishing in uh, the U.S., the U.K., uh, India, Dubai, all over the world, and uh, speaking at organizations such as NASA, Google, Johnson & Johnson, uh, U.S. Treasury Department. We just uh, spoke to 1,000 IRS agents yesterday, uh, or I should say IRS managers. So that's a little background. That's that's uh, who we are and what we do.
0: Well, fantastic. Yeah, the book, Fired Up or Burned Out, it, it's been out, I think, since 2007, and I continue to see its influence. It's one of those books that it seems like is growing exponentially as far as awareness. Uh, And and one of the reasons I think for that is this idea and spreading this idea of the connection culture. Um, What is a connection culture?
2: Well, just short and quick, uh, let me just build the case for connection first, which kind of helps describe what a connection culture is. Um, Gallup has done some research where they've shown that 75% of the American workforce describe themselves as disconnected from what they're doing. So in America, that's over 101 million people that are showing up for the paycheck, but they are not giving their best efforts. They're not showing up and really you know, being the, the contributors that they could be helping us accomplish our mission, whatever that organization's mission might be. And uh, in some more recent research actually came out, uh, that we would net it out for you by disc- just telling you that it 's showing that ninety percent of people in organizations either aren 't engaged or are not strategically aligned with accomplishing the organization 's objectives and mission, and so we 've got basically one in ten employees really doing what you know leaders hope they would be doing when they show up to work, being aligned and engaged in what they 're doing. Uh, we like to define connection. As uh, you know, almost something that you can't uh, describe, other than you, you see it. You know, it, it's when somebody is so engaged in what they're doing that they can't wait to get there. We connection cultures. What we go out and talk about: how do you create a connection culture? We talk about creating relationship excellence. What we're finding more and more in our culture is that we're treating each other like human doings, not human beings. So people are being asked to relate in this quid pro quo kind of way where we care about one another, we're interested in one another, as far as you can help me get what I want, or I'm going to get something from you, become a very self-centered, me-centered reality. And uh, you know, oftentimes we, we go into corporate environments and we say, what we're going to challenge you to do today is to exchange the me for the we. And uh, unless we have that, we do not have a connection culture we do not have the relationship excellence that is necessary to truly draw out the best from one another uh so that in essence is what a connection culture is it's it's learning how to relate to one another in a way that draws out the very best from one another uh and then of course we get into you know how do we go about helping people figure out how to do that
0: it's kind of funny the one in uh, one in 10 employees is actually connected engaged and aligned with the organization, it, it reminds me of the old advertising uh, slogan, you know, half of my marketing budget is wasted, I just don't know which half. One in ten yeah. of my employees is actually engaged, I just don't know which one. Um, besides engaging more than that one in ten, what are some of the other benefits you see when organizations build this connection culture?
1: Well, it ripples through into um, a, lo- a lot of benefits. It, it uh uh, improves alignment so that uh, individuals want to align their behavior with organizational goals um it, it improves productivity um when you look at our research and research from the conference board and others it shows that when these connections are in place david it uh p- people just have more energy uh, they're more enthusiastic i think we can most of us can uh, understand that just from our own experience and uh because uh we put out more effort it also uh, spills uh, it obviously affects productivity but also innovation because when people participate in conversations they're interested in advancing the business they're actively looking to learn and grow uh, learn more about the business um they're thinking about how to uh create new products new processes uh entire uh, new businesses and distribution channels et cetera. So they're participating in what we call that marketplace of ideas in a firm, and that's what drives innovation. Um, So those are just a few of the things, but um, it it just spills over to affect every area of business when people are engaged.
2: You know, I would add a little bit to that as well. Um, One of the things that I think grabs our audiences most when we go out and we talk about connection, and before we describe the connection culture, we do what we just did with you, which is we say, let us make our case for connection. Because most business leaders think we're talking about the soft stuff, which they kind of you know push to the side very quickly. Is this going to drive my bottom line? Is it going to drive my bottom line? It's kind of all they're thinking these days uh you know most of them you never want to group everybody in that, but uh when we show people that we can prove to them that when they create a connection culture, it makes them mentally and physically healthier uh it, you know that their their for example their their bodies are biochemically created to respond in life-giving ways when they are in good relational connections with those that they're working with. And when they're not, it's actually producing a toxic environment, which literally is killing them from the inside out. And I, I can, I can still remember the faces, you know, I loved you know, kind of bringing that up with different leaders. And then finally the light bulb goes on like, wait a minute, this is, this is really important stuff. This isn't something that we can just kind of put to the side And then when we tell them that, you know, research has shown that an engaged employee is 20% more effective and productive than the average employee, which is basically like saying if you create a connection culture, you'll get, on average, one day's worth of week more productivity than you did before. Then they go, hey, now that affects bottom line. That really does bring about results that we're looking for. And we go, of course it does. What, What did you think it would do? You can't just keep mistreating people and not understanding how to tap into who they are uh, and, and, they, and think that things are going to get better.
0: So you're absolutely right. I remember when I was in graduate school uh, in it, doing uh, organizational industrial psychology, they talked about the hard side and the soft side, and everybody seems to favor, I like hard side and, and building up industrial, or I like soft side. But in reality, they're two sides of the same coin. The, the hard side affects the soft side. The soft side affects the hard side. And they're related, and you have to look at them both. And I, I think that's one of the reasons you go after an entire culture. And um, speaking of sort of getting it, getting it all, I know uh, you had a great article in uh, Leader to Leader Journal uh, recently that talked about connection cultures and the three bridges of the connection culture. Uh, tell tell me briefly what are the three bridges of the connection culture?
1: Sure. Well, the fir- the first one is vision. Um, which exists in an organization when everyone in the organization is motivated by the mission, united by the values, and proud of the reputation. The second one is uh, value, and that exists when everyone in the organization understands the needs of people. They appreciate their positive, unique contributions, and they help them achieve their potential. And the third is voice, so vision, value, and voice. Um, Voice exists when everyone in the organization seeks the ideas of others, they share their ideas and opinions honestly, and they safeguard relational connections.
0: Now, uh, do we build those bridges all three at the same time? Is there one to start when we're looking to create this culture, or how do we get started?
2: Well, I mean, I do think that we're trying to encourage people to build all three at the same time, but what we try and help them do is assess where are they on those three bridges, you know, do you have the the vision bridge working well? We we like to uh, kind of subtitle the, the vision bridge. Do you have an inspiring identity? You know, are people truly motivated by the mission? Are they united by the values? Are they proud of the reputation, both internally and externally, that you're building? If not, what's right, what's wrong, and what's missing from your corporate culture? Because when those things are happening, when you have that inspiring identity, it engages people. It, it makes them connect, not only with the overall organizational uh, mission and, and goals and all, but how we're going to do, you know, the values, how we're going to do uh, and why we want to do it this way uh, kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a, it kind of lays the concrete foundation on which you can build this. And then the, when you have the value bridge in there, you know that you're not just a human doing uh, you know, all day long, and that there's going to be people that are going to be caring for you in that relational environment. You know, people are working longer and longer hours, and we spend the bulk of our waking lives in these environments. You know, if you're a professional and you're out there working in the workforce, and which the bulk of America are having to do, and even more so these days, uh, you know, you've got, you know, couples where both are working full-time jobs, sometimes two jobs each, and, you know, The kind of relational habits that we develop in those environments absolutely have not only a huge effect on the way we're going to go forward in business, but at home and in every other relational context that we we operate in. And so, this this value bridge, which is one of the reasons why in our diagram we put it right in the middle of the diagram, to us it's like the core of everything. Can you truly connect with another human being? One of the things we encourage people to do just to get started in growing this is get to know one another's stories. I mean, how can you really know me if you don't know my story? So we challenge people to take somebody out, you know, if, you know as many people as you can. It's funny when you have the leaders ask you, okay, how many do I need to do that with? You know, like it's a task or something. Well, as many, <laughs> you know, that, that are working with you, or just start doing it with a couple. Get together with them and ask this question. You were born. Then what happened? And then just get quiet and get to know the other story. Get to know what they, you know, highlight and what they don't talk about. You know, all the rest. Get to know one another, and then the, 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 the what we call knowledge flow or the voice bridge. You know, do you have this flow of information, this flow of dialogue in a respectful way, where we are truly tapping the corporate mind. And if not, again, we would ask those three questions: What's right? What's wrong? What's missing? From us doing that better here, and so that would be just a way to kind of get started in all three of those those bridges, which create connection. Um, and just ask those questions: What's right? What's wrong? What's missing? As we look at these definitions of you know what these three uh, big bridges are, how could we do it better here? And uh, you know, it's going to take some personal humility on the leader's part to want to engage in a dialogue like that because they're going to be hopefully getting real honest answers. And not all those answers are going to be, you're awesome. Uh, it's going to be, boy, it's because you do this and you do that, we're a little afraid of you. And the leader's going to have to be willing to make some adjustments and to really change. It helps
1: to hear an example sometimes. Um, in, the, in the article you mentioned, David, we use the example of you too. Would you like me to just share a little bit about that? The-
0: Absolutely, I, th- I think it's a great example. Okay,
1: it's you know, and one of the things we share with people is uh, we we, all, we almost always get the question, "Doesn't this have to start from the top?" And you know, sure, that's that's ideal if it does st- start from the top. But the but the answer is no. You'd, it doesn't have to start from the top. And I think when people when you look at the research and you think about your own experience. You will. You've been on teams. Almost all of us have been in small work groups that where people are completely energized and feeling connected, and they're highly productive. And you know, those are some of the best parts of experiences in their career. And you may walk down the hall and find another team that's just it being in that social environment um, is draining the life out of them. You can just see it on their faces. And um, that's true in every organization. You see a real dispersion of connection in in groups based on the local culture and the leader and the character of the individual's uh, character strengths or absence of character strengths of individuals in that local culture. And a great example of a team, a small group of people who – Uh, feel highly connected and are wildly successful are the rock band U2. They've been uh, together more than 30 years, which is rare in itself for rock bands, and they have now won more Grammy Awards than any band in history. And when you go there and you look at their story, which we tell in that article and in some other places we've written and when we speak, um, you clearly see vision, value, and voice. The vision is what Bono, the lead singer of the group, calls the spark, um He points out that we don't our music is not just about entertainment, although it's entertainment that it has another purpose too, and that is to promote uh social justice and uh, uh human value and, and human rights around the world and so uh bono's even called himself a traveling salesman promoting those ideas, so he's uh th- their their music is much more than just entertainment uh secondly, they have uh, knowledge flow or or voice which um the, the the way they accomplish that is that they um they have a consensus oriented decision making style so that if uh when it comes to creative decisions if there's one individual who um feel strongly about not going forward uh, with a particular decision, then they don't do it. And they realize that can be frustrating at times, it takes longer, but they believe based on their experience it produces superior results and a high degree of connection so that they all feel engaged and aligned with uh, uh, kind of the, the shared mission and uh, the direction they're going. And then uh, finally, I think this is the most powerful in the band, and that is the the element of value uh... they know that the guys in the band are going to be there for one another and this goes all the way back to the beginning Uh bono when he was fourteen years old his mother passed away Of course, the four band members they met in Dublin, Ireland, Um, Bono suffered alone because his father really wasn't there for him to help him uh, go through the grieving process. Uh, A couple years after that, uh, Larry Mullen Jr., who is the drummer of the band and actually the founder, his mother passed away. And Bono reached out to him and said, I know what you're going through and I'm going to be there for you. And it created this friendship between the two guys that really became the nexus, the heart of the band. Uh, some years later, when Edge, the lead guitar player, when his wife left left him, he was devastated by that. And the guys were just there to uh, provide uh, emotional and spiritual support and help him get through that tough time in life. Um, Adam Clayton, the bass player, he had a, a five-year... He was uh, living a pretty fast life there for a while and developed... Um, drug and alcohol addiction, and even missed one concert. Um, The guys had had to make a decision, you know, do we dump Adam because he hung us out to dry or are we going to stick with him and and not leave anyone behind? And that's the decision they made was to adopt the motto, uh, everybody gets out of here alive. In other words, we're going to get through this uh, career together as a group. No one gets left behind. And they were there for Adam to help him recover. And uh, some years later, I think the most dramatic example was when they were playing a concert in Arizona. They received a death threat aimed at a Bono that said if you play a particular song, the song's name is Pride, which is about Martin Luther King Jr., that uh, Bono would be murdered. And the FBI told the band that um, they believed this was a legitimate threat. So they decided they were going to play it anyway, and they went out there. Uh, Bono sang the tune with his eyes closed, and at the end of one verse, he opened his eyes, Adam Clayton was literally standing in front of him, David, to shield his friend from harm. And that was such, it was so moving to Bono, he references that references that periodically, he did uh, at his acceptance speech uh, when the band was uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he talked about Adam being willing to take a bullet for him, which is true. And um, you just see the guys have been there for one another. They appreciate each other's strengths. Bono says he can't play the guitar or keyboards uh, very well, and he hears music in his head, but he needs these talented musicians, these friends of his who have his back in life as well, to help him bring those tunes he hears, those songs in his head to life. So you really see all three of those vision, value, and voice in this band U2 that has been wildly successful.
0: Oh, It's such a powerful example and such a, a powerful story, but I can hear a couple of my critics out there because I love you two. I, I grew up listening to you two, but I know what they're going to tell me. That's a small group. That's four guys, maybe five if you count Paul McGinnis, their manager, but I, I run a larger organization or can this work in a larger organization? Um, and I know you have another one that actually I find equally powerful, and that's an example of at the U.S. Navy. Can you tell, tell our audience a little bit about that example of how they built the connection culture there?
1: Sure. we um, were speaking at Lockheed Martin Aerospace, and uh, the former commander of the Fifth Fleet came up afterward and said, you know, we want to introduce you to the former chief of the Navy because he did what you're talking about. And uh, the more we looked into the story, we found that uh, that was absolutely true, that in, in 2000 when Admiral Vern Clark became the chief of the Navy, um, the Navy was not meeting its first-term retention uh, reenlistment goals uh which were it was 38% and they were concerned about the effect on military preparedness so admiral clark made uh winning the war on talent his number one priority and he went out to uh you know the the problem with uh reenlistment was really focused on uh the enlisted class you have the officers in the navy and you have the enlisted class and it was the enlisted class that was dropping out in droves And so Admiral Clark went, he reached out to what's called the Master Chiefs. They're the leaders of the enlisted class. And he uh, toured around the world. He met with groups of Master Chiefs, and he said um, that uh, he told a story, David, about uh, his first uh, command. He said, when I first became a commander on my first ship, um, I was so green, I didn't know the pointy end of the ship from the blunt end of the ship. But I had this Master Chief on board who came up to me about a week after I assumed the command of the ship, and he put his arm around me, and he said, "Uh, Mr. Clark, I like you, and I'm going to make you a fine officer. And he said this Master Chief, his name was Leedy, helped mentor what became Admiral Clark um, and made him a better leader. And Admiral Clark said to the Master Chief, he said, you know, I know who's running the Navy. I I know what you guys are doing and i need you to do the same thing with these young sailors who come under your command you need to uh, mentor them give them the resources give them the training uh, to meet their their promise which is to support and defend the constitution from all enemies foreign and domestic and i need you to do what admiral leedy or what uh, uh, chief leedy did for me and you know the master chiefs i spoke with the uh, head of the master chiefs worldwide and he said you know you'd talk to the master chiefs around the world they would all say you know, Old Vern knows who's running the Navy, and we're not going to let him down. About 18, within 18 months, now there were other things that uh, that Admiral Clark did. He boosted the training budget. He uh, promoted uh, an increase in compensation. Um, he changed the uh, assignment, uh, uh, naval assignment process, so that people have more voice in it. So there are a whole number of things that uh, really reflect vision, value, and voice. And then within 18 months, First-term reenlistment went up to 56.7% from under 38%. The Navy had never seen anything like that. So it was astounding how you, you interview the admirals in the Navy, and they will tell you that Vern Clark as CNO made a huge difference in um, just people wanting to be in and, and stay in the Navy.
0: Wow, that's a phenomenal example of uh, of taking it to a, a large organization and making it work and having the data to prove it with those uh, re-enlistment numbers and enlistment numbers. Um, so the book is Fired Up or Burned Out. Uh, it talks, uh, makes a compelling case for creating these connection cultures and also how to implement them. But I'm curious, what are you guys reading now? Jason, what are you reading?
2: <laughs> well, right now I'm reading Bonhoeffer, uh, which is a book that a friend of ours named Eric Metaxas wrote. It's a long book. <laughs> I'm in the middle of it. But, uh, you know, on top of reading uh, the other periodicals and everything that you know, we're always reading – um, that is my number one dive into it for the summer reading yeah and i
1: read it too i loved it it's a great book Um and,
2: and, and i'm reading another book actually my buddy
1: jason here gave me a book um by parker palmer some years ago called let your life speak and it was a very powerful book i'm i'm reading another book that parker palmer wrote called a hidden wholeness he's one of my favorite writers and i just find such a profound wisdom in in his writing so uh... Uh, there's a couple of good recommendations there, Bonhoeffer, and uh, any of Parker Palmer's books.
0: Very good. Just in time to pick them up and, and then head out to the beach and uh, and, and scope them out. Now, I'm curious, Michael, Jason, or, or even for eFloribus Partners as a whole, what's next for you guys?
1: Well, let's see we we have uh we're going to be speaking at a church in the Bronx pretty soon and uh we Jason and I just spoke together uh Jason spoke to a group of business people in Houston and the next day we uh teamed up and spoke at the NASA Johnson Space Center um we've got things coming up for um uh we're we're doing a, a presentation for one of the largest banks in Canada uh, that we're doing in the Virgin Islands and uh, we have a, a speaking to a, a company in Iowa, so we, we've got uh, we're, we're usually doing a mix of things, David. Where we're speaking to government organizations, uh, business organizations, and we do a fair amount of speaking at uh, academic organizations too. Northwestern University, um, we're guest lecturers at the University of Virginia's Darden Graduate School of Business in the uh, MBA for Executives program. So, uh, so what else do they miss? Anything, Jason? <laughs> a
2: lot of other things, but that gives no, I mean, you a that's...
1: snapshot of what we're doing.
2: Right. I mean, that's more of the details of where we're going to be and and, and all that. I think what's next for us is, you know, we've been now for the past four years or three and a half years, whatever, since the book's been out, trying to get this tsunami built, you know, and, and, you know, hit enough shockwave underneath the ocean here of, you know, corporate culture in America that the tsunami wave starts to build and people start to pay attention to the way that we're relating to one another, and they start to take it seriously that it is the next competitive advantage to build a connection culture. I mean, with things tightening up globally, uh, the, the great leaders are going to rise right now. The great leaders who not only have task excellence, which we talk about and we believe is important, but they also have the relationship excellence of building a connection culture, maintaining it, growing it, uh, and and developing leaders of amazing character. One of the things we couldn't talk about just because of length is uh, the other two elements we have in our, uh, in our model are creating committed members, and these are members committed to character strengths and virtues, because what we found was it's a person with a certain kind of character that actually lives out vision, value, and voice every time. And so rather than just come to a company and say, okay, this is what we need to do, vision, value, voice, vision, value, voice, let's just do that for one another, okay, go. That won't work. (laughs) Whatever gets measured gets done. And we actually have to work on becoming the kinds of people that think that's important and think that that's good. And uh, we've broken it down uh, into these character strengths, which we didn't create them. We use a paradigm uh, from a book called Character Strengths and Virtues by Seligman and Peterson uh, to do that. And then the fifth element is creating servant leaders, Leaders who are, uh, you know, commissioned with the authority to, uh, you know, organize and and, and uh, be over the tax, task excellence, the creating a connection culture, and modeling the way personally and mentoring others in the way, relationally, so they really become mentors for the the, the young aspiring leaders in the organization, and uh, the importance of mentoring uh, in creating connection is vital. I mean, you'd, you really have to have living examples on the ground, because this isn't stuff that's just taught. It's caught. And uh, you really have to be around it and uh, kind of let that uh, ooze into you a little bit. Uh, that's one of my, <laughs> the young guys I'm working with. He calls that just sounds like it's going to ooze. You know, what, what's oozing around you right now? And And that's a good question for leaders to ask. What's oozing out of you? And what's the relational effect that it's having on the other leaders around you?
0: We we will put a link in the show notes both to your website and also to the book. Earlier, you guys made a case. I'm going to go ahead and make a plea to my audience leaders. They're absolutely right. The next competitive advantage out there is a connection culture. So go pick up, click on the links on our show notes, pick up Fired Up or Burned Out, find out where they're going to be speaking, and get involved with these people because they will teach you how to build that culture and gain that next advantage. Uh, Michael, Jason, thank you guys for joining us inside the Leader Lab.
1: Yeah, thanks, David, and thanks for all the good work you're doing. Yeah, it's our privilege.